Good morning, Nona Church family. Hey, can we thank our band and our production team for creating such a great environment for us? So thankful for them. Uh, hey, if you're new, my name is Colin. I uh, serve as the lead pastor here at Nona. We're so honored to have you with us here today in the room. Uh, if this is your first time, I'll be up front right after the service. Would love to get to know you, get to meet you, get to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, but if you are uh, taking notes, go ahead and grab your formation journal. Uh, if you don't know what this is, uh, know that we would love to get one in your hands. Uh, the formation journal is a, a thing that we've designed here at our church to help us know and take our next best step in following Jesus every single day of the week. And so if you're taking notes today, go to page nine. Page nine is where you'll find uh, your sermon notes. And um, our spiritual formation team uh, developed this with you in mind. And so the formation journal uh, has a um, Bible reading plan where every single day um, you can uh, find a scripture that will guide you for uh, a thing to read for that particular day. It's got an area for daily gratitude and a place for you to jot down uh, some notes. And this really helps serve as a tool that allows you to grow in your faith every day. It's kind of like going to the gym. Uh, you're more likely to go to the gym and get a good workout in if you have a plan in advance for what you're going to do. Anybody gone to the gym before and looked at the weights and been like, yeah, I think I'm going to go get an ice cream. Anybody been there before, right? Yeah. So this allows us to stay engaged during the week as we walk with Jesus. Uh, we handed these out for free last week. And if you were unable to get one, maybe you weren't here or um, this is your first time, know that we've got these available for you in uh, the lobby on your way out. Be sure to to grab that. I also want to pay, draw your attention to one more thing before we jump into today's message. Uh, I'm going to be referring to this. It's called the Intentional Life Worksheet. Uh, if you don't have a formation journal and you want a place to jot down notes today, this worksheet is really helpful. But this will be a tool and a resource that I'll explain later on uh, in our gathering that we've designed to help you as we start off the beginning of the year. Well, today we're in part two of a series titled Pause. Would you say pause with me on the count of three? One, two, three. One more time, one, two, three, pause. And this series is all about helping us uh, live a life that we enjoy, not a life that we have to endure, but how to live a life that we enjoy in the midst of a world that wants to hurry us up, wants to wear us down, and wants to burn us out. Uh, if you're uh, new to the room, last week we kicked off uh, this series, and I explained at the top of the message last week that this is really one sermon that's given over the course of three weekends because it's just too in much information to put into one message. And so you're kind of catching us in kind of episode two of a three-part uh, series. And so you might want to get caught up and, and catch the message online at nonachurch.com uh, if you want to get kind of the first part of the series. But to kind of catch you up, to give you a quick recap, last week what we talked about is the reality that we live in a culture that wants to speed us up. We live in a culture that wants to give us more things to do than there is time to do them, that wants us to spend more time and more energy uh, expending than what we actually have in our life account to be able to give. And that in many ways, life can feel like we're on a treadmill, that we're running a full sprint uh, and we just want to get off as fast as we can because we find that while we're running a crazy pace in our life, it's not actually taking us anywhere, which is why many of us feel like we've lived the same year of our life over and over and over again with very little to show for it, very little progress. 
Some of us find ourselves in the room exhausted, burnt out, and tired. We go to bed tired and we wake up tired. We go to bed kind of frustrated at life and we wake up frustrated at life. We go on really great vacations. You ever been on a vacation? Thought the vacation was going to give you rest and rejuvenation. And then you land on the other side of the vacation and you realize, I'm just as tired as when we started. I'm just a little bit more broke, right? Like that's the only difference, right? And so the question that we're asking in this series is, is there a way to design our life and design a kind of life that we don't feel like we have to escape from? Is there a way to design a kind of life that we enjoy when we wake up, that gives us hope and gives us great satisfaction, that, that doesn't need distractions and you know, things to depend on to, to make us feel whole and complete? How do we get there? And last week we looked at the reality that, that Jesus actually invites us into that kind of life. But the kind of life that Jesus has designed for me and the life that Jesus has designed for you is a life of flourishing, a life that he would describe in Matthew chapter 11 as one that is lived freely and lightly. And yet, so many of us who are followers of Jesus or maybe unsure about where we land with Jesus or no followers of Jesus look at our lives and say, it's anything but free. It's anything but light. It feels exhausting and tiring. And, and if I'm honest, nothing like what I thought Jesus was inviting me into. Last week I laid out that the greatest enemy, the greatest enemy to our spiritual growth in life may not be the sin pattern we can't get over, the havoc we can't kick, or the shame that we carry, but the greatest enemy to our spiritual growth is our pace in life. That hurry is violence on the soul, that a sped up life leads us to listen, to lose the ability to listen to God's voice. And I laid it to you this simply. I said this, that it's impossible to follow Jesus if you're running faster than he is. Because Jesus always walked. It's impossible to follow Jesus if you're running out ahead of him. And so today we're going to lean into the second element where I left off that message by leaning into this question. Well, how do we find a pace in our life, how do we find a pace in the midst of a life and in a world that wants to hurry us up and wants to burn us out? Well, with that in mind, let's jump into the message. Um, Stacey and I um, flew to Vancouver on Monday morning. We spent the entire week in Vancouver, came home late last night. And uh, if you remember last week, I talked about the fact that one of the big challenges in our marriage is that uh, when I walk somewhere, I like to get to the destination. Stacy enjoys the journey, and I find myself walking out in front of her all the time. Do you guys remember that moment where I kind of laid out some of our drama in our marriage? And um, uh, so we had a great moment to kind of practice that on Monday morning. Our flight left at 5.41 a.m., all right? So uh, let's just say that we were uh, trying to race to get to um, the, the gate so that we could make our flight. And, and I found myself walking, and guess what I found myself doing? <laughs> walking by myself, because where was Stacy? Way back there. But I had a sermon that I had heard in my mind kind of affecting me on Monday. So you want to know how many times I stopped in the airport at MCO? Uh, to get between the time we got from our car to the gate. Anybody want to guess how many times? How many times I had to stop? 27 times. <laughs> because I found myself 27 times walking out in front of Stacy and be like, oh, I'm going to have to wait for her. And then doing it again and again and again. And here's, here's, here's what I want you to pick up. Habits die hard, don't they? 
Like you can talk about them all day long, but it's actually a practice over time that creates a new rhythm. And what I'm going to talk about today, it's kind of like that. It's, it's this thing that we, we might even know or might even say is important to us, but the reality is, is that we're going to have to put it into practice over time to build the kind of life that we don't have to escape from. Uh, on, on, between Sunday and Monday, a news article came out um, on the New York Times. It was an editorial written by a priest named Tish Harrison Warren. And Tish uh, was interviewing a, a, a man by the name of John Mark Comer. Uh, and John has been uh, incredibly helpful to me and to Stacy in thinking about how we design our life. Both his writings and his personal insights have been super helpful for us. And in this interview that Tish has with John Mark, John Mark laid out a response to this question about how to build a healthy life that I felt was on the nose for what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm not going to tell you what John Mark said, what, what word he used here, but I want you to listen to the quote in fullness, okay? So a fill in the blank, and that fill in the blank is the thing we're going to talk about today. A fill in the blank, you don't know what the fill in the blank is yet, but you will in a little bit. A blank will force you to face your mortality, your limitations, your emotional limitations, and it will force you to say that God-forsaken word. What is that word? That word is no. The joy that is on the other side of it However, it's a life where you are integrated. And integrated means who I am on the external, who, is who I am on the inside. He says, you can live at a pace that you can walk until you die and still be deeply joyful and year over year become more loving and kind and peaceful. Anybody want to become more loving and kind and peaceful? Anybody want your spouse to become more loving and kind and peaceful? Don't raise your hand if that's you, right? But your roommate, more loving and kind and peaceful? Yes. But look at what John Mark says. He says, there is no way to do that without a willingness to live unlike how most people around you are living. In other words, you're going to have to get a little bit weird. You're going to have to get weird because normal isn't working. If I had to kind of make this quote my own, I might put it this way. The thing that we're going to talk about today, the way that we're going to think about our lives today looks like this. We're going to have to live like no one else so that we can live like we were meant to live. Live like no one else so you can live like you were meant to live. Because here's the bottom line. Normal. What our culture describes as normal. The pace that our culture is moving at that we call normal. The race that everyone is running, not walking. That race that we call normal. It is not working for us. It's not working for us in our health. That's why 41% of Americans are, are considered unhealthy because of the obesity epidemic that exists in our culture. Fast food, running from place to place, drive through to drive through, that becoming our norm. It used to be that McDonald's was a treat, right? And now McDonald's is a normal part of our lives, leads to unhealth in our bodies because we're moving at too fast of a pace. We're in debt. The average American has $122,000 in debt. And here's what's wild about that number. 21% of us don't pay anything on the debt that we owe. And only 40, and 43% of us are only paying the minimum. And this isn't like an upper middle class, lower income kind of issue where only a particular group of people in the population deal with this. I know a lot of six-figure people that are living paycheck to paycheck, stressed out and exhausted because they're barely making ends meet, which leads to high levels of stress in our life. Anybody stressed? 77% of people asked that question say, yes, I am stressed. 
And what blew my mind as I was researching this week about how normal isn't working is that 745,000 people last year died from something called overwork. They were too tired and exhausted. Their bodies shut down because of the speed of life and amount of work that they were, were trying to expend. More people died from overwork than in malaria. We don't talk about these things, do we? Normal, can we just agree? Normal is not working. Give me a head nod if you're like, yeah, normal is not working. It's not working. And we get it, right? Because we're tired and we're exhausted. But then we look at our bank account and it doesn't seem like we can take a break, so we keep on working. And we try to get the promotion and we try to get an extra dollar because we've got to pay the bills that are racking up. And we get tired and we, get, we find ourselves again on a vicious treadmill that says, go faster, go faster, go faster. Do more, do more, do more. Because you have to keep up. And then we end up tripping over our own feet, falling flat on our face, falling back into that coping mechanism that destroys our family and destroys ourselves and leads to shame, running to a relationship at the office because we want to escape our life, or running to a product that we think we're going to buy that's going to make us feel better, and all of a sudden, a week goes by, a month goes by, the year comes to an end and we find ourselves in the same place. And we're tired and we're exhausted and we're anxious. And the question is, does Jesus have anything to say about that? Does, does Jesus have a solution for the problem that we're all facing? Is there an actual pace of life that we can live that will lead to longevity and joy and freedom. Well, that's the very invitation that Jesus gives us. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, this is the verse we looked at last week that I want to look at again. And we'll look at it again next week. Jesus gives us an invitation, an instruction, and an illustration, and it's all about what it means to follow him. If you're skeptical about Christianity or don't know what you believe about Jesus or wonder what the Christian faith is all about, it's found in this verse. Look at what Jesus says. He says, are you tired? Anybody tired in the room today? I'm sure. Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? I love this. The people that Jesus invites to follow him are not the ones who have it put together, who have it all figured out, and have their lives kind of stellarly designed. The people that Jesus invites to follow him are those of us that are tired and burned out and worn out and exhausted. Like, this faith is for us. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Now, I want you to pay attention to the words that Jesus says, because the invitation is what we looked at last week. Now I want us to look at the instruction. Look at what Jesus says. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I want to stop here for a minute, because this is the section of the passage we're going to focus on and spend our time really unpacking today. But there's something absolutely brilliant in it I don't want you to miss. Is that the good news of Jesus is not just simply that he gives us a pass to get to heaven one day. 
But the good news of Jesus is that how he lived his life and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are a template for us on how to live our life now to be able to experience a beautiful life today. The gospel of Jesus is not just for heaven later. It's so that heaven might be our experience now on earth. So look how this happens. I'll show you how to take a real rest. So who's going to teach us how to, how to rest? It's, say his name. The answer is always Jesus, right? So the answer is Jesus, okay. Walk with me and work with me. So who are we supposed to walk with and work with? The answer is Jesus. Watch how, who does it? Who, who are we supposed to watch? We're supposed to watch Jesus. And when we do all of those things, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, as the author of Hebrews tells us, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, what will happen? We will learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I love that. It's not forced. It's not like I'm trying to stay on beat with the rhythm. It's natural to me. And let's be real. For some of y'all, trying to stay on rhythm, it's forced. And for others of us, it's natural. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And then Jesus says, I won't lay anything. This is his promise. This is Jesus. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The invitation of Jesus is not to a life free of pain, difficulty, sorrow, or disappointment. The invitation of Jesus is into a life that experiences freedom and lightness despite pain, disappointment, and heartbreak. There's a way to live today. There's a way to live now that allows us to experience that in fullness. But it will never happen at a hurry. It'll never happen at a pace that we were not designed to run. It will happen when we walk with Jesus. So today, what I want to do, and I'm really going to do that this week and next week. Remember, this is one sermon over three weekends, so to get the whole sermon, you really got to come back next week. I'm going to start the discussion today about how to answer this question. Well, how do I practically live a life in the 21st century that matches the pace of Jesus so that I can experience the life that he promises. But I'm going to need some help. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that in the next few moments that what I share would be helpful. That God, you, through the power of your spirit, would give me clarity of voice and of mind so that we might see practically how to live tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday in a way where we would be able to do it for longevity. That joy and peace and gratitude would be the mark of our life. These are the things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we get into how we do this today, I need to be honest with you. Um, the story of our family's life, identifying and understanding the pattern of Jesus, uh, is a story that really happened out of necessity. Um, in 2018, uh, we came through a pretty crazy season of planting a church and leading a community and seeing this thing grow in significant ways. And there were significant impacts in our life during that time. And so Stace and I and our family got away and we took a trip to Costa Rica for um, some R&R. &R. 
But that R&R really just turned into me sleeping in a vehicle while Stacy drove around the Costa Rican countryside. I had been so burnt out and so tired and so exhausted. I'll be honest, it was hard for me to show up for my family and kids the way that I wanted to on that particular trip. I had been more exhausted and worn out than I had realized. And Stacey found this book uh, called Emotionally Healthy um, Leadership. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is another book that's written by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. And she listened to this book while we were driving through the Costa Rican countryside. And while I slept, she listened to it. And at the end of that time, she looked at me and she said, Colin, if we're going to do ministry for the next 30 or 40 years, if our life is going to be spent pouring into other people, if we're going to raise these four kids that God's entrusted to us, if we're going to have a marriage that we love more 40 years from now than we do now, we've got to change the way that we're living because the way that we're living is not sustainable. And that began a journey for us of really leaning in and asking ourselves the question, how do you do this over the long run? How do, you, how do you build a marriage where you're more in love with your spouse decades later than you were in that first year? How do you build a relationship with your kids where your kids want to be around you and the doors of conversation are open and they feel seen and valued and heard? And, and how do you do the work that we do for decades to come in a way that's sustainable and enjoyable? And we began to study the scriptures and read everything that we could read, get on flights and fly to visit people like John Mark and allow them to pour into us specifically so that we can learn how to do this. And what you're getting today in some ways is a synthesis of the last five years of the great work that God has been doing in our hearts. But I need you to hear this. We're still in process. We're on this journey with you. So I don't come as an expert with good advice today. I come as a follower of Jesus with some good news for you today, okay? Yeah, you can clap for that, all right? Like, we're not doing this whole golf clap thing in church. Like, go to a golf course if you want to do it, all right? And here's the good news, is that you don't need to look at my life to figure out what the right pattern is. You don't have to look at your family culture to figure out what the right pattern is. You don't have to look at your heritage to understand what's the right way to live a flourishing life. You have the perfect model in the person of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't hide for us or hold back what it looks like to live fully and freely in this day. So we're going to point our hearts towards Jesus. And today I want to just lay for you a couple of things that we see in the life of Jesus that are incredibly applicable to the 21st century you that is necessary. And it's necessary regardless of where you are. One of my biggest frustrations in the world, just so you know, is that somebody preaches something that sounds good in Lake Nona but could never be preached in Bangladesh. Or somebody preaches something that sounds good in the suburbs but could never be preached in an inner city. Or something that sounds good in an upper middle class community but would never work on the, the western coast of Africa. Because God's truth is God's truth everywhere, all the time, and in every place. So if it can't be true there, it ought not be preached here. So everything I'm talking about today, it works if you're single or if you're married. It works if you're divorced or on your third. It works if you're 12 years old or if you're 82. It works if you're rich or if you're broke. Rich or poor, can't afford the O and the R. If you're that broke, like it works for all of us. It gives us an opportunity to flourish where we are. Here's the first thing I want to give you. If we are to be people that walk at the pace of Jesus and experience him closely, we must define our season. Write this down, define 
your season. Define your season. See, the Bible, the Bible is an interesting text because it's full of wisdom. And we live in a culture right now that wants us to buy a lie that is a foolish lie. That life is meant to be balanced. Work-life balance. You guys heard of this before? Work-life balance is a myth that keeps us chasing something that does not exist. And we get frustrated because we can't capture this ever-evasive, mythical thing that we're told we need. That success, right, in our culture is work-life balance. You've heard this before, right? Success is work-life balance. But you know that never includes a kid who gets a fever and ruins your week. You know what it ever includes? A family member you've got to take care of because they've uh, gotten sick and ran to the hospital. You know what that never includes? A, a boss who's not in integrated as a person and sees their job as a place of validation and then puts that responsibility on you. Work-life balance is a myth. It's a pot at, of gold at the edge of a rainbow that you could spend your entire life chasing and you will never find it. And the Bible never talks about work-life balance. The Bible talks about endurance. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have accomplished what God has purposed for me. And the Bible talks a ton about seasons. Seasons. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1 and 8, it says this. There is a time for everything and a, what's the word here? A season for every activity under the heavens. Now stop. This is the wisdom of the writer. The wisdom is, of the writer is telling us, listen, your life, your life is a series of chapters. Your life is a series of moments. Your life is a series of seasons. And there is a time for every single aspect of those seasons. But the question that has to be answered is, how do you know what season you're in? Well, I can't define that question for you. You have to define it for yourself. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, what we find is 14 times in just six verses, the writer talks about 14 different kinds of seasons that exist in our life. And it's not meant to be an exhaustive list, but it's supposed to be an instructive list. That for some of us, we're in a season of planting, as, as um, verse 2 says. That we're in a season where we're putting some stuff in the ground in our life and we're not going to see a lot of results. Some of you that are in college or getting educated right now, you're in a season of planting right now. You're not going to see a lot of fruit. You're not going to see the big salary. You're not going to see the big outcome because that's not the season that you're in. For others of us, we're in a season of uprooting. That's what verse 3 says. A season where we have to let go of some things that we used to have because God's moving us to a new place or to a new environment or into a new relationship. But hear me, if we don't define our season, someone will define it for us. If you don't define your season, someone will define that season for you. And it might be your boss, it might be your family upbringing, it might be the culture that we're in. And what I've found time and time again is if I don't define my season in advance, I'll begin to compare where I am with others and become really resentful because I'm not there. And I'll miss what God is doing in the moment where I am right now. I've seen this in my own life. Um, that, that defining the season, hear this, defining the season frees you from unnecessary guilt and comparison condemnation. You ever been in a situation, moms, let me talk to you for a moment. You ever been in a situation, moms, 
where you are racing to school to drop off your kids, and there's like that one mom whose makeup is fully done, whose hair is perfect, who's already gotten like seven things done on her to-do list, and you're like throwing your kid like Cheez-Its as they walk out of the car because that's their lunch. You ever found yourself in a place where you feel like, I'm just not, just not doing enough? You will not feel that way if you identify your season. But if you don't identify your season, you will constantly find yourself comparing yourself against others, trying to figure out what season you are in. Oh, but when you define your season in advance, it gives you freedom to say, this is enough for now. I may not be able to do that right now, but it's okay because the season I'm in is most important. There's a wise woman um, in uh, our community, in our friendship group, who uh, about a decade ago kind of gave me this word. I, I'd even put it in like the prophetic category, like gave me a, a, a word for my life and for Stacey and I's leadership that I really didn't have a category for at the time, but looking back, I see what she was saying. She said, Colin, you should watch how your kids grow because the way that your kids grow in a lot of ways is going to affect and, and be kind of mirror the way that the church grows. And at that time, I didn't get what she was saying, but, but looking back, I can because when we started this community, Stacy and I were in a birthing season as parents. We were having our younger kids. And when you, when you birth a child, the way that you take care of a nine-month-old, it's, it's very hands-on, isn't it? I mean, there was a season here at Nona where every Saturday night, Stacy and I would hand-fold the bulletins that would be handed out on Sunday morning. We'd watch college football and we would fold uh, about a couple hundred bulletins and bring them in. Because we were in a season where we were birthing something. We were nurturing something. Well, fast forward now and all of my kids can buckle themselves in their own car seat. Can I get a good amen for that? I'm in a season where almost I can trust my oldest to watch my children so we can go on a little coffee date. And we don't have to worry about anybody else coming into the house. And I got to pay for babysitting. Can I get an even bigger amen? Like we're in a new season. New what? season. If I continue to live my life like I'm in a birthing season, when the reality is, is I'm now in a developmental season where I'm developing my kids, giving them more responsibility. We're no longer birthing a church, we're developing a church, giving more people responsibility. If I live my life like I'm still in a birthing season, I will destroy the thing that God actually wants for me in this season. You picking up what I'm putting down right now? Some of us are still living in a few seasons ago, and God has invited us into a different season, but we've yet to define it so we don't know that we're in it. We haven't taken the time because we're so busy and hurried and rushed to stop and recognize, oh, I'm in a different season, which means I need to make some new decisions. For those of you that are in the 55 plus community, I see this often when I meet with you. So there's something really interesting that's happening in your life. You're entering into a new season. You're moving into the season where maybe not as many people are as dependent upon you as they used to be. And you're kind of used to people being dependent upon you. And now, not so much. You're in a new season. And as you step into that new season, you find that you get to be more strategic in how you use your time. And listen to me. If you're in that community, I want you to know I believe this without a shadow of a doubt in my heart. The best and most meaningful impact of your life is not behind you. It's ahead of you. God is going to do more in you in the coming years than he did in you in the past. But you will miss it if you don't recognize or define 
your season. Because if you do not define your season, someone else will define it for you. Here's the second thing that we see. Jesus, over and over again, as he looks at his season, says, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then in the Gospel of uh, John, when he's heading towards the cross, heading towards Jerusalem, he says, my time has come. Your Savior, listen, knew his season. He knew when it was time to go public with, with who he was, and he was intentional to not do it until it was time. Know your season. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Not only do we need to define our season, but we need to decide our rhythm. Decide our rhythm. Um, that word rhythm is an interesting word for me um, because I love music. Anybody else like me just love music? I've got music on all the time in our house. And we've got a variety of music in our house. Man, we play R&B in our home. Like, boys to men is always a good choice, okay? We play R&B in our home. Uh, we also love, like, um, like, urban Latino, so, like, Dembo. Any of my Dembo people, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we love that sound in our home. Uh, every now and then we dabble a little bit in country music. Don't tell anybody, but just a little bit, right? Um, it's on a fall day when I'm feeling sad, right? Uh, it's, like, good to know that somebody else is having a worse life than me. That's country music, you know? Um, we, we love music in our home. And one thing that's interesting about music is that music, depending on the sound, there's, there's a rhythm that's underneath it. I, I want to kind of peel back the layers for you just a little bit here at our church. We've got an incredible band, incredible production team, great music. And while you hear amazing music on Sunday morning, some beautiful voices that are leading worship, what you don't hear is something that they are hearing, and I want you to hear it now. Go ahead and lift that up a little bit more. You guys hear that sound in the background? See if you can uh, clap your hands to that beat and rhythm. Can you do that real quick? Yeah, you're not, 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 not very good. Not very good. It's okay. Uh, you can turn it down just a little bit. You hear that sound? So that sound is the rhythm for the song we're going to sing at the end of service. Now, the musicians on this stage, they're hearing that in their ears, but you're never hearing it. But as the keys player is playing beautiful melodies and as the drummer is hitting the snare at just the right time and, and moving on the toms and as the bass player is holding the line to make sure everything's connected and the electric guy is just having a lot of fun riffing and the acoustic player is giving us sound and the vocalists are leading in their different ways. While all that beautiful music is being made, the thing that holds it together it's not complex and not difficult and not hard. It's that simple little rhythm that you just heard. And I think for a number of us, we look at our life as complex and as difficult and as full as it is, as it is and we say, what is the big solution to my big problem, which is that I'm hurried and rushed and stressed out? And I've come to tell you, that the big solution to your big problem isn't a big solution, it's a little rhythm. And some of y'all need some rhythm more than others, all right? It's a little rhythm. What do you mean by rhythm, Colin? Well, rhythm is this seemingly insignificant thing that is absolutely essential if you're going to build something great. If you're going great, to make great music, you've got to have a common rhythm. And the question then is, did Jesus have a rhythm that allowed his life to be great? Was it something complex or was it actually something very simple? 
Well, the answer is it was simple. And that simple rhythm, when applied to our life, allows us in the complexity of some of us parenting numerous kids, some of us working multiple jobs, some of us having uh, jobs that take us on travel and international flights, others of us trying to figure out where we are in our educational space, wherever you are in your world, what's common is a simple rhythm that Jesus followed, that when we follow it leads to our longevity. I'm calling it a rhythm, but in church history, St. Benedict or Ignatius of Loyola, the Desert Fathers and Mothers, they called it a rule of life. Let me read to you what John Mark says about a rule of life. He says, the great challenge of a rule of life is also the great joy. The challenge is you can't live by a rule of life. And that word rule of life, if rule feels kind of weird to you, just use the word rhythm. The challenge is you can't live by a rhythm and live at the hurried pace of a modern American person most of whom are radically over-busy, distracted, over-committed, underslept, and exhausted all the time. Am I describing you? Or somebody you know, right? Not you, but your, but your friend, right? Yeah. So what happens is there's a rhythm that Jesus wants us to live at, but we try to hurry it up. And instead of getting beautiful music in our life, we get clanging noise, crashing cymbals, and a train wreck. So how do we match Jesus' rhythm? Well, I want to give you two things that we see in Jesus' life. Again, Jesus says, watch me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me. I'm going to show you how. Right? These are Jesus' words. So Jesus, how do we get on rhythm with you? Here's the first thing. Is that you take on Jesus' rhythm of a daily habit. Here's the daily habit. Jesus spent regular time with his father. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. It said, so Jesus explained, I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what the father, what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son also does. Well, how did Jesus know what the father was doing? He stopped to have regular time with the father. John 12, 49, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. So Jesus didn't say anything or do anything unless the Father told him to say it or told him to do it. Well, how did Jesus know that? Well, Jesus knew that because he spent regular time. The scripture tells us over and over again that he withdrew and he retreated to get time alone with the Father. Like the harrowing statistics out there show that most of us who are followers of Jesus should call ourselves Christians. We do not have a regular daily rhythm where we get with the Father. And that's a pretty terrifying thought to think about how many things we're saying every day and doing every day that we didn't hear God tell us to say or do because we didn't stop to spend time with him to hear from him as to what we were supposed to say or do on that day. That's why the Formation Journal is so important. We want to make it super easy for you to be able to get up in the morning and to engage in God's word so that you might hear God speak to you because God speaks to you every day from his word. And God shows you what to do every day from his word. And if you're in a rhythm of daily just getting with God for 15 minutes to say, before I, before I log on to my laptop, before I scroll on social media, before I allow the emails of my boss and my family and the demands of everybody, before I allow those things to define my rhythm, which is going to do this, 
I'm going to get on beat with God. You know, I, I heard this insight recently, and I think it's a good one. Um, how many of y'all work for somebody? Just go and raise your hand and say, I work for somebody, you work for somebody. Okay, yeah, most of us, right? If your boss puts a meeting on your calendar and says, I need to meet with you for 30 minutes on a Tuesday, are you going to do your best to make that meeting? <laughs> yes, right? Because your boss put a meeting on your calendar. I wonder why we don't treat a daily rhythm with God the same way, or if we don't give the same energy to a daily meeting with God that we would to a boss who puts a meeting on our calendar. What if our time with God was as important as the CEO's meeting with us? Because the actual CEO of our life isn't the person who works for the business that we work for, but it's the God who made us and knows us and has designed us. Like, what if we treated with such urgency and necessity and said, it's as essential for me to meet with God as it is for me to meet with my boss? Could that change our attitude? Not because if I don't meet with God, God's going to be mad at me. But if I don't meet with God, I'm not going to get the instructions I need for how to attack my day. And I'm not going to know what to say or what to do. And I might find myself spending my entire day wasting it on things that my God never wanted me to spend time on in the first place. Oh, but when I start my day with God and have a daily habit with him, maybe I'll find that my days are far more productive and far more valuable. Daily habit. Here's the second one. Weekly rhythm. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Again, we're looking at Jesus. How did Jesus live his life? We find this, and Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And I want you to pay attention to these words. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. As was his custom. There was a daily habit that Jesus had to meet with his father, but there was also a weekly rhythm that he had in his life as well. And Luke chapter 4 gives us the two elements. The first one is this, is that Jesus went to church. Now I want you to think about how wild that is. That the dude who wrote the book, who knows it inside and out, like literally knows what he meant when he wrote it, right, would sit down and listen to other buffoons talk about the thing that he wrote. Like I know some of y'all are like, oh, I don't know, man, I, I don't know if church is, in, you know, church is more of an option. It's not a necessity. Well, if it was a necessity for the guy who wrote the book, maybe it's more important for us than we realize it is. Like if Jesus himself decided every single week, I'm going to find myself, regardless of what city or town I'm in, sitting in community with others, maybe it's something that we should value to you. And listen, I got kids that play club sports. You're, you're gonna be the, I'll be the last pastor you ever hear that is going to shame you or guilt you into coming to church on Sunday, okay? Because I realize our lives are complex. But I want to invite you to challenge you in this way. What does it look like to be in a weekly rhythm where the option, church isn't seen as an option, Church is seen as a natural rhythm that is a normal part of our life because we need to be with the people of God because God himself thought it was important to be with the people of God. What does it look like for us to make church not an option that we maybe attend, but an essential part of our rhythm of life because it allows us over time, year after year, decade after decade, to experience what God has designed for us to have. Now, the second one is this. Not only did every week Jesus worship, but here's the second thing I want you to write down. Every week Jesus rested. 
The text tells us that Jesus gathered with them, and he, as was his custom, he kept the Sabbath. The Sabbath was this Old Testament teaching that we are supposed to work six days and rest one. And that word rest means to cease working. In other words, if your life is involved with email, it means you put the email away for a 24-hour window of time. Now, I find this interesting that if you look at the Old Testament narrative, I grew up, and this is where culture kind of gets interesting, I grew up in a culture where you work six or you work so that you can rest. Anybody kind of had that? You work so you can rest. Anybody heard this kind of parenting before? You work hard so you can get a break, right? And that makes a ton of sense to me. That's the way that I grew up. But you know what's an interesting insight is that in the Genesis account, God creates humanity on the sixth day. And what day does God rest? He rests on what? The seventh day. So humanity is created on the sixth, which means when they wake up on the seventh, their first interaction with God is what? Rest. And then Monday comes, or then the next day comes, and they work. We've got it twisted. We live in a culture and a world that says, you work so you can rest. But the gospel of the kingdom is, you work from a place of rest. Rest is not a thing that you earn. Rest is a gift that God gives. And over the last five years, Stacey and I have really leaned into this practice of choosing to rest. Choosing to say, you know what, there's going to be a day in our week that looks different than the other six. And again, it doesn't matter what day it is as much as it is a rhythm in your life. We're going we're gonna to do our best to live a pattern that says we rest one day and we work hard the other six. And man, when we work, we work. But when we rest, we rest. And here's what I've noticed. That prior to the first five, these last five years, prior to that, I lived under the mentality, I'm going to work so I can earn my rest and you know what never happened was consistent rest. You know why? Because there was always more work. Can anybody else resonate with this? I never knew when enough was enough because there was always a thing to be done on the task list. There was a room to be cleaned. There was an event to manage. There was a thing to do. And my fear was if I stop working, then things will start falling apart. And what we found over the last five years is, oh, yeah, Maybe God knows what he's doing because he designed us and we didn't design ourselves. And what I've found in my own life is that when I work from a place of rest, God will do far more with the six he can bless than the seven he can't because I'm holding on to it in disobedience. See, some of us think that the reason why we're productive in life is because we, have a, we work harder than everybody else. And I might say, well, what if you're leaving a ton on the table? Because God won't bless disobedience. And some of us are working sun up, sun down, non-stop, never-ending work. Burning ourselves out on both ends. Waking up exhausted, going to bed exhausted. Not present to the people we care about in our lives. on a treadmill running at a pace that is going to burn us out and tear us down. And the great fear, I get it, is that if we stop the way that we're living, we won't get the results that we want. The results that pay the bills for our family. The results that create a great life for the people we love. The results that, that matter. 
And listen, I'm just speaking for me. I can't speak for you, but I can also represent Jesus. A man who had three years of public ministry launched the greatest movement the world has ever seen. Time is literally defined by him, B.C. and A.D., fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, did everything that was needed of him, never hurried, rushed, or ran every, anywhere. And every week he decided, I'm going to stop and rest because God can bless more in your faithfulness to him and resting one and working six than he will bless in your exhaustion and tireless race trying to grind out seven on your own. So, what do we learn from Jesus? Define your season or somebody else will define it for you. Decide your rhythm. And the rhythm is not a complex thing. We don't need complex solutions for the complexity of our problems today. We just need to be simply connected to the rhythm of God. A daily habit of meeting with Him a weekly rhythm of gathering with others and a weekly rhythm of setting aside some time to rest and trust that God will bless the rest. And the last thing is this, is that we would be people that live in grace. See, if you're a religious person, you could take what I've talked about today and say, wow, that's a list of things I have to do. And if I don't do them, my life's gonna be terrible. God's going to turn his back on me and I'll get to heaven and he'll say, I told you so. But you don't serve and we don't belong to a God of rules and regulations. We belong to a God of grace. A God who doesn't lay out a framework of living so that you can feel like there's a burden on your back that if you don't get in the Word every day, you're ruining your life. Or if you don't get to church every Sunday, you're ruining your life. Or if you don't get into a rhythm of rest, it means that you're ruining your life and you only have you to blame for. That's a religious spirit. But the spirit of grace with the God that we love and serve is that God would say, hey, I've given you these tools and I've given you my life as an example so that you can experience freedom. This is for you. You know, in your formation journal reading this week, we read Mark chapter 2, and it's a story about the Sabbath, where religious people made the Sabbath a burden. They put all these rules in play that made it hard to follow the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes along, and it looks like he's breaking the rules. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say, hey, you're breaking the law on the Sabbath. You're not doing what you should do on the Sabbath. And look at Jesus' response. This is what living in grace is. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was, not, was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Are you picking this up right here? Sabbath is for you. Rest is for you. Meeting with God daily is for you. Defining your season is for you. It's because God actually cares about you. God actually wants you to have a great life now. God really wants you to experience fullness now. God's interested in your flourishing now. So everything you've heard me say today, I want you to know it is bathed and washed and covered in grace. Quick confession. I was out of town this week in Vancouver. Guess who didn't finish all the readings in his formation journal? Your pastor. <gasps> but guess what? I'm living in grace. I'm living in grace because the expectation is not perfection, it's progress. And I met with God four days this week. 
and I picked up the fifth on the flight home. It was a good talk. And I met with him. Because this is not about rules to follow. It's about a free life to live. It's about a good Savior who wants to walk with you. So with that in mind, would you stand with me as we pray? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I would imagine a message like this, like the Holy Spirit's working in different ways and speaking to us in different ways. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Again, the series pause. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to unpack. So there might still be some unanswered questions you have, some things you're still wondering about. Come back next week. We're going to continue the discussion. But I want to invite you to close your eyes and I want you to take an inventory of your life and wonder what might be the thing that God is speaking to you about today. If there is a thing God's speaking to you about, I'm just going to invite you to open your hand. And this is really for you to mark the moment. It's an opportunity for you physically to acknowledge what's happening internally in your heart and your spirit. But for some of you today, um, this is your next step to take. Um, your next step is a recognition um, that you need to define your season. Like I said, it's the Holy Spirit saying for some of you um, that you have been living a life of resentment and disappointment because you're letting somebody else, a culture, a boss, a family member, a friend, an in-law, you're letting somebody else define your season for you. And if that's you today, like, yeah, I think I'm letting somebody else define my season for me, would you just open your hand? You're feeling pressure to be somebody or accomplish something or be somewhere. For others of you, I sense the Holy Spirit saying that the thing that needs to be defined is you're living in a season that is no longer your season. You're still caught in the past. You're living in regret and shame of a thing that you did in the past that God has already freed you from. You're no longer in that season. You're not in that season of regret. You're not in that season. That's not your identity anymore. And that you find yourself living in a season that God wants to free you from. If that's you today, I want to invite you to open your hands. For others of us in the room, it's not so much about our season, it's about our rhythm. As I was talking, you realize, oh man, I'm not, I'm not living a life that's in rhythm with God. I'm, I'm running ahead. Like when I talked about daily habits, you realize, oh, I'm not treating my time with God the way that I'm treating my time with my boss. And I sense the Holy Spirit say kindly to some of you, hey, I'm the one who's in control of your life, not your boss. Come spend time with me. So for you, it's like, yeah, I need to take a next step when it comes to my daily habit of meeting with God. Go ahead and open your hand. For others, it was the weekly rhythm. You heard God say, hey, stop treating church like an option. consistency over time that's actually going to build something in you that you can't get any other way. And if that's you, I invite you to open your hand now. And then I had a sense that for many of us, what I'm about to say next, this is where we are, is that God wants to retool your mentality about work. You've lived in a world where you work so you can rest and you find yourself exhausted. And God wants to speak the better word to you today that because of the gospel, you don't have to work for rest. You get to be a person who works from rest. 
But that's you, would you open your hands today saying, yeah, I need a mentality shift there. And the last one is grace. Some of you, the hard thing that you were struggling with the whole time in this message was, this feels like a list of things I have to do. This feels overwhelmingly exhausting. This is just more things to put on the checklist. And I don't need a checklist. What you need to hear today is that it's all grace. That everything we've talked about and everything we will talk about, it's for you. That you can go as fast as you want and as slow as you need. Because God, there's never been a moment where God has looked at you with anger or frustration or disappointment in his eyes. But he looks at you with love and says, I see you and I'm with you. If you'd say, yeah, I think I need a little bit of grace today, I invite you to open your hands as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for everybody in this room that we would, we would know that you love us, that you're for us, not against us. That God, you've designed life to be life that can be lived right now with joy and peace and freedom. That your invitation to a free and a light life is not an invitation that only gets experienced in heaven, but it's meant to be experienced now. But God, we just admit it won't happen because we run at a faster pace than you. It'll happen because we choose to slow down to match your rhythm. A rhythm of daily habits, of weekly commitments, of defining our season and receiving your grace when inevitably we start to run again and need to be reminded that it's okay to pause. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody in this place says...